Hello and welcome to the next instalment of a series of podcasts aimed at A-level students focusing on the abolition of the slave trade. My name is Kate Sword and I want to thank Andrew Taylor and Philosocast for hosting me once again. This unit is particularly focused on the Edexcel syllabus and so far we've looked at the humanitarian argument for abolition, the economic argument and in more detail at Eric Williams's decline thesis. So today we will be building on this by looking at the role played by key individuals in achieving the abolition of the slave trade. Now Edexcel particularly focuses on the work of three key campaigners, so so will I. We will be looking briefly at the roles of Wilberforce, Clarkson and Equiano and I would like to spend some time evaluating their relative merits rather than just offering a brief overview of each. I'm going to start with William Wilberforce as William Wilberforce is often the name most associated with the abolition movement and possibly the most famous of abolitionists and there's no doubt that he did play an integral role. Wilberforce's strength came in becoming the parliamentary face or figurehead of the abolition movement. Now, his actions involved introducing annual bills to Parliament from 1791 onwards, his rousing and emotional speeches, and his abilities to secure a select committee to investigate the slave trade. All of these are key features of his importance. But perhaps we need to consider that it also went beyond just his actions. Wilberforce gave the cause a political legitimacy. His conservatism in politics quelled Jacobin fears about revolution and abolition, and the fact that he too was a man of property was a reassurance to the elite that he was not attacking their financial superiority. Finally, his close relationship with PM William Pitt the Younger was enough to secure abolition even when Pitt was succeeded by Grenville in Pitt as PM in 1806, with Grenville being convinced to abolish the slave trade in Britain in 1807. I think it's easy to say that Wilberforce is often credited as an icon amongst abolitionists. However, I do think it's important to evaluate his success amongst other abolitionists. After all, there are some criticisms of Wilberforce. For example, his petitions were often introduced late in a session or when other issues were becoming more dominant and he was therefore routinely defeated in Parliament. Others have also accused him of being overly reliant on the work of others and clearly there is an argument for that. He was a mouthpiece for Clarkson's research, which we're going to cover next. Others argue that Clarkson was the one who laid the foundations for abolition and that Wilberforce benefited from the publicity and propaganda produced by others. So, for example, the potter, Josiah Wedgwood, who created the famous plaque, Am I Not a Man and a Brother, which became the emblem for the society affecting the abolition of the slave trade from 1787 onwards. And finally, others accuse the fact that Wilberforce was in fact a latecomer to the abolition movement. Perhaps Wilberforce was reluctant to become involved out of fear for the risk of his own political career due to such a controversial topic. However, once again, it is Clarkson here who was behind his conversion with his Cambridge award-winning essay in 1786, Slavery and the Commerce of the Human Species. And from there, the two men agreed to collaborate on abolition. So when coming to a conclusion about Wilberforce, all of these factors need to be weighed. 
And perhaps the final judgment is that without Wilberforce, abolition remained on the periphery of British politics. His credibility made it impossible to marginalise the movement which could have been dismissed as revolutionary. Despite his bills facing rejection, the issue was never completely defeated. And without his speeches, Clarkson's hard work and research would have remained unheard. Therefore, Wilberforce was an integral part of the membership and arguably a catalyst for the success of the abolition movement, which was one of the earliest mass movements Britain had seen. Now, I want to move on now to a comparison and evaluation of Thomas Clarkson. It only seems reasonable as we've so far brought him up. If Wilberforce was the public speaker of a conservative wealth, then Clarkson was the avid researcher from humble beginnings who triumphed through talent but also through hard work. Clarkson's strength perhaps lies in that he was drawn to the abolition cause through his own research. He was a natural convert. Part of an essay competition for Cambridge University and he was truly converted and committed to the cause. Clarkson is perhaps a less flashy abolitionist than Wilberforce, but his work can nonetheless be seen as monumental. For historian James Walvin, Clarkson was unmatched in his tireless efforts and refusal to give in. Clarkson laid the foundation of the movement, and often his main credit is given for his research and he's seen as a fact-finder. His essay, which I previously mentioned for converting Wilberforce, sold 10,000 copies which were printed. And that's just one example of Clarkson raising awareness and gaining wide support. He wrote extensively to ensure the public were well informed of the inhumane practices of the slave trade. In order to do that, between 1787 and 1794, he travelled more than 35,000 miles collecting evidence. He was innovative in this collecting evidence too. He collected stories from formerly unheard of slaves. He collected visual artefacts such as shackles to put on display. But he also collected evidence of African cultures, which had previously just been ignored, with people preferring to think that there was no African culture. One of his most famous works is the cross-section and plan of the slave ship Brooks, which really aimed to highlight the immorality of the movement. And by 1807, Clarkson had helped to form 1,200 branches of the Society for Effecting the Abolition of the Slave Trade, giving the movement the broad support base that it needed. Clarkson appeared unstoppable, and his role cannot be underestimated. In fact, so committed was he that in 1794, he suffered a complete physical breakdown and was forced to retire from the campaign. During this time, we see support for the abolition movement waning. But this is perhaps a good opportunity to begin to move more carefully to consider Clarkson's rule. Was his absence for long periods, for example 1794 to 1803, evidence of others who had to take over and keep the movement going, being of greater importance. Not just Wilberforce, but other converts such as James Ramsey and Granville Sharp. Sharp in particular was a lifelong abolitionist who sought to stop slaves from being forcibly removed from Britain and was an evangelical Christian who also wrote widely on the issue. Also, we need to consider the role of the Quakers, After all, it was the Quakers who published Clarkson's article. 
It was their experience and organisation, their network of support that was used when setting up the societies. And finally, it was the select committee by Wilberforce who Clarkson passed the research to who fought for abolition on a parliamentary stage. Clarkson is also not without his controversies. As part of him collecting evidence, he put himself at risk by openly collecting evidence in slave ports such as Bristol and Liverpool, a dangerous business. And unlike Wilberforce, he risked his reputation and that of the movement as a Jacobin revolutionary when he travelled to revolutionary France in 1789 to try and convert them to abolition. Not that he had much success there either. However, in 1803, Clarkson returned once again to the abolition movement and would perhaps see strength of character here because the amount of support once again increased. He returned again to his research finding and I believe in trying to reach a conclusion regarding Clarkson, it's undeniable that he played an essential role and that his dedication was second to none. In 1790 alone, he visited 317 ships, speaking to 3,000 sailors, collecting a body of evidence that provided a counter-attack to those rejecting bills in Parliament. And despite some historians arguing that he was rather self-congratulatory in his book, The History of the Rise, Progress and Accomplishment of the Abolition of the African Slave Trade, written in 1808 after abolition, this book provides historians with an unparalleled insight. One thing is unquestionable is Clarkson's dedication. Even after abolition, as an old man, almost blind with cataracts, Clarkson continued to fight for extensions to the abolition bill throughout the British colonies. Clarkson was always in the background of the movement and provided the evidence for a shift in awareness from the perspective of the slave trader to an awareness of the inhumane practices inflicted upon slaves. Now finally, I want to take this opportunity to evaluate the contribution of the ex-slave Alada Equiano. Equiano's role has been given more credibility by recent historians such as Hoschild, who have reassessed the role of Wilberforce but supported Equiano as the voice of the enslaved and the most eloquent of former slaves. As important as Clarkson and Wilberforce arguably were, Equiano's strengths were in adding, the adding to the moral argument of abolition. After all, as much as Clarkson and Wilberforce could preach about conditions on slave ships from the research they conducted, only Equiano could give a voice to those who'd lived through the ordeal of capture, the middle-half passage and transportation, and life on the plantations. His work, The Interesting Narrative of the Life of Alada Equiano, in which he vividly describes the stench of the hold and the pestilence, is a work that provided much knowledge to the cause. However, however, even before its publication, Equiano was a leading abolitionist. He was an integral in mobilising others who had also been enslaved. Equiano worked alongside the group Sons of Africa from 1787. The group toured, much like Clarkson, to raise awareness, but also, much like Wilberforce, they were also aware of the need to lobby Parliament, and most famously, this involved a march on Parliament in 1788 in support of the Dolben Act. 
Now, this was clearly a cause close to Equiano's heart, as it sought to improve the bunged-up conditions of the Middle Passage that he had so vividly described. Equiano was also clever in his narrative, as he outlined a number of reasons for his abolitionist beliefs. Yes, of course, he outlined the moral arguments and the barbarity of the slave trade, but he also reused religious argument by quoting the Bible such as those that honour their maker have mercy on the poor, which played into the respectable religious background of Britain. Most importantly, he also used the economic debate to his advantage by arguing that rather than seeing abolition as a threat to the financial success of Britain, the abolition of the slave trade could offer opportunities to develop trade links with Africa. He argued that all of the raw materials needed for manufacturing could be found in Africa, and if Africans were allowed to remain there, then there would be a market for trading. However, Equiano's road to abolition was never going to be straightforward. Trying to convince the British elite to listen to the voice of black former slaves was not likely to be easy, especially when facing groups in Parliament such as the West Indian lobby, whose wealth and power was as a direct result of slavery, and it proved to be, as Hoschild put, monumental and to have seemed to anyone else impossible. As well as trying to gain support in a society where sugar was an important sort of source of revenue, the livelihood of thousands depended on it, with seamen, merchants and shipbuilders all depending on the trade. However, Equiano promoted African culture and challenged and dispelled rumours about Africans which had been created by the traders themselves. Rumours of Africa as an uncivilised place, full of black magic and ungodly people. Equiano was an extremely cultured man and presented a respectable reality, even going on to marry an English woman. By forcing England to question their views on African culture, it also made them question the arguments they had built up to justify the slave trade. Despite needing the support of others such as Clarkson and Wilberforce, there's no doubt that the work of Equiano and other ex-slaves supported the abolition movement. Hopefully, this has been an introduction to the work of these three main individuals. And once again, I really want to thank you for listening and say I hope you enjoyed and I'll speak to you next time. Thank you.